So we have been meeting as a collective in what we call the table every single Wednesday for the entire year, actually. The Lord uh, really dropped it in my spirit when I had my mastermind space open. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have all this free time. What am I going to do? And God said, gather my people. And so for an entire year, we've been gathering faith-based entrepreneurs, uh, a room full of strangers that come together week by week, who some of which have become family, others drop in time to time as that like distant cousin. But when they come to the table, it's this place of safe haven. It's a place of communion. It's a place of just connecting over the real and the raw of what's going on. What's going on in the climate of the world? What's going on in the climate of our world, of our minds, of our hearts, of our spirits, of our business ecosystems and everything else that's happening as a becoming leader, right? None of us have figured it out. We're all on the journey. And so everyone has a voice at the table. And over the course of this year, we have had so many people come in who they wanna be there every single week and just don't have the capability, whether their schedule or whatever it is, and they're unable to be there and they want the they want a recording they want to listen and i'm like no like this is a sanctuary i initially was pretty steadfast i had no hearing from the lord that i was supposed to release it any other way that this was supposed to be a safe space and about eight and a half months in the Lord said, you can share now. And it was a conversation that I brought to the table because it's not mine to share. It's not Anthony's to share. It's a sacred space. And the conversations are getting richer and richer and richer because the presence dwells when we gather in this way. We know when two or more are gathered, there he will be. And he has always been. There's been prophetic understanding. There's been worship. There's been devout prayer. There's been healing that's happened. There's been storytelling. There's been testimony sharing. There's been, um, you know, lens of how do we get by with understanding of obedience, with understanding of discipline, with understanding of the good stuff, right? The rich stuff, the fruit bearing things that we get to experience on this side of heaven. So when we decided we're gonna start recording, I was just gonna do it once a month. And I brought it to the table and everyone was like, no, I want every single recording is so good. How are you gonna decipher when something's gonna happen or when someone's gonna say something that you just really fully need? So we now have a recorded sanctuary. And for those who know us as a mobilized church, this is not news because whenever people listen to virtual churches, they get to hear from the pastor every single week. But the variability on hearing the table is that it's not just the pastors. It's not just the minister. It's not just the people who we're bringing in for an episode. It's a collective. It's the whole body. And it's from people all over, from all different walks of life, from all different entrepreneurial backgrounds and all different elements and spaces in their faith journey too. And it's beautiful. It's so rich. And I really believe that you guys are going to get a behind the scenes. And this is an invitation. This is not a BTS. You don't have to stay behind the scenes. This is an invitation for you to come and dwell with us at the table. And so I hope that this ignites you enough to say, you know what? I want in on that conversation and your voice will be heard too. But most importantly, your heart will be brought into the union of 
all of us together. And that togetherness is something that entrepreneurs often experience the opposite of, which is isolation. So no more isolation in our journeys of entrepreneurial mission-driven leadership and no more isolation in our spiritual journeys. This is a time for us to truly commune and for everyone to get the microphone, which is different than the regular church, but it is a mobilized church. And it's the way that Jesus hung out with the people that he loved. And so the people that he was teaching, right? So we're here to teach, we're here to learn, we're here to talk, but we're also here to listen. Tune in to the Founder Collective Table and know you can go to the show notes below and get the invitation to come week by week. It's 12 o'clock Eastern on Wednesdays. We love you. Thanks for joining us at the table. Are you deprived, perhaps discombobulated, maybe even distracted? You want more from life, from relationships, from God. Whether you're in a season searching for purpose or perhaps know your purpose but feeling lackluster or lost in the execution of it, this podcast was created for you. In fact, this isn't just a podcast, it's a movement, and we're on a mission to find the lost, welcome them in, and launch them into their greatest destiny, fully found in Him and founded on the rock. This is a table for a multitude of marketplace ministers to come together for fresh revelation, resources, and revival. Get ready to catch the fire and live fully free, fully found. This is the Founder Collective. How's everybody's week going before we get get going? Miss Julie, how's your week going? It's good. It's good. Um, I think I'm just super focused right now on gratitude, honestly. Um, because I I think whenever I start to feel triggered about stuff, I'm like, okay, I need to move into gratitude for the things that are going well around me. And it just like, it shifts and unlocks things. So that's what I've been focusing on uh, these last couple of days is just really moving in gratitude, feeling the gratitude and um, staying in a place of praise. Yeah, I guess we can just kind of start off right there. I'm, I'm speaking at a, a one-day conference this weekend, and that's a piece of the puzzle that I'm talking about is gratitude and really finding the gratitude in all things. And I think at first, identifying the things in our life that are worthy of gratitude. There's, there's things in our life daily that we can be thankful for. If we really take the time um, to get into it and just so I'm, as in this conversation I'm going to have with these people this weekend, I, I was called my speech is conversation because I don't like to sit up and talk. I like to talk to somebody. Um, but getting to a place where every morning or every night or maybe even both. But I like the, the nighttime um, because you can kind of reevaluate your day and making a list of three things, the things that have been done to me the things that have been done for me and the things that have been done by me to me, for me, by me and writing those three things and then drawing a line down the middle of the page. And on one side, writing down the good things that have been, been done to you, for you and by you. Those are the things that we can start to be, to have gratitude for in our life. Those are the easy things. Those are the good things on the other side, write the bad things. Things that have been done good to you, for you, and by you. The bad things that day. So these are a daily task things. So as you do that, then the bad side 
if the good side's gratitude, the bad side is forgiveness. It really allows us to have a fresh start into our day. If you do it in the mornings, kind of reflecting on the day before, or at the end of the day, releasing that day before you go to sleep. I think this is a big um, deal. Like if you have trouble sleeping at night, generally it's, it's tied to some things throughout the day that you're still holding on to. So this really gives you a place of release to say, I, man, I made it through the day today. I did better than I thought. Because those things that you have gratitude for, the things that you did good, you can have gratitude for those, the things that God kind of give you and you walk through it. But then those bad things, it gives you the power to release it and not carry it through to the next day. Doing this series um, in our church right now, The Bait of Satan, which we've talked about, releasing these offenses, because we can carry an offense at somebody we don't even know because they did something to us today, and we just carry that to the next day. So three things things that have been done to us, things that have been done for us, and things that have been done by us. The good side, creating a place of gratitude. The bad side, placing a heart of forgiveness on that. But then I even challenge you even more because when you get to this place of forgiveness daily, when you really begin to release these daily things, what you're going to find is you can even find gratitude in the bad things. You may not do it instantaneously, but over a course of time, you'll go back and look at those bad things and you'll realize you can find gratitude because they prepared you for something bigger. And I think this is where God's plan, uh, James 1, I'm going to read James 1, 2 through 4. Uh, this has been with me. I preached on this last week and then in a, a call I was in last night, it came back up. Um, James 1, 2 and 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. See, these are people. These are situations, all the things. And these are going to be the things in the beginning where you have to release them at the end of the day. Give forgiveness in places because you can't see their purpose. I wish we could see purpose in all things the moment they happen, but it's not true. Uh, our flesh, our emotions will bind us up sometimes, and it's hard to see how God will use some of these things for our good. But count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So I think when you really begin to get to the core of doing this daily thing, it's, I know for many of us, another daily thing. But I think it positions us for the two areas that the Bible, I believe, calls us to to grow. And that is learning to have gratitude in all things and learning to release in forgiveness the people around us. Jesus said, when you stand to pray, forgive. That demonstrates how important it is. Like we can't even pray if we have unforgiveness in our heart. He said, if you've wronged a brother, don't even come to the altar and pray. Go meet your brother and get forgiveness. Fix that before you even come up here, because that heart, that it won't allow you to even pray right. You won't even speak to me right. It'll be a filter in a broken place that you can't receive or give or even pray for somebody because you'll be praying at them. So just something that I've been thinking, and Julie prompted me this when we got into the conversation about how important gratitude is. But I think it's easy sometimes to find gratitude in the good things. But realizing sometimes we go back or over our life and we can really find gratitude in all things. If the Bible says all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord according to his uh, will and his purpose, then there has to be gratitude in all things. So I'm going to open the floor up. I have another 
lane of conversation that I kind of had, but you open this up, Julie, and this is where we're at today. So how is this, uh, maybe somebody does this a lot or somebody that maybe this is a need in your life that's kind of opened up, say, man, this is something I got to be better at. Remember, we are recording for podcasting, so <laughs> not everybody at once. Well, I'll just follow up since I, I started with the whole gratitude thing, and I love that we're on the same stream. That's just not surprising to me at all. Uh, that's how the Lord works. And and I think um, it's just such, I mean, we know it's a gateway. We know it's, it's the entry point. Uh, gratitude is. Um, and I think that so often when I... Um, when I enter into gratitude, it can be really easy to just give it like be lip service. Like, Oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. Like, nah, you know, but to feel it, to like allow it to penetrate and to permeate and to shift things. Um, that's what I've really been, I don't know, for lack of a better word, convicted about is just like, let it change me, let it mark me, let it move me and then spur me into other things like rejoicing, like like going into my imagination with the Lord and seeing what it is that he is building or what he's creating um, in me and creating declarations for my day with him in that place, uh, like starting from that place of gratitude. Um, and it, and I just, um, like, I love that scripture that you shared. And I was looking at it in the Passion Translation where it's like, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. The greatest joy that you can. Like, the, it's, I think that so often gratitude seems so basic, but it's so not. It is so not. And it is just, it is, um, it's a launching pad. So thanks for adding to that, Anthony. I really appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. I'm just seeing that more and more. I think the posture of God's people is broken. We're not we're not pursuing life the way we're supposed to. We're not impacting people the way. And it's why it's because of our attitude. It's because of the way we do things. It's because of the perception of, of life around us. We see it now with Israel and all the things going on. Oh my gosh, world is falling apart around us. Lord, just take me out of it. And he said, I put you there for a reason for such a time as this. I put you in every conversation for a reason. I put you in every situation. It may not be to preach. It may be to demonstrate love to somebody in a way they've never experienced it before. Like it's truly being present. And gratitude and forgiveness are the two things that really position us clean slate every day for God to use us in that moment. God didn't, or Jesus didn't walk around with this heart of just unforgiveness. Like in this, in the hardest moment ever, he prayed, Father, forgive them. Like he didn't walk around in this place of just letting one moment with the, the Pharisees and Sadducees distract him from the next moment with somebody who needed to hear about grace and, and that there was a father who loved them. Like he was so in the moment and it's because of the fresh slate every moment. Chris, go for it, bro. Uh, yeah, so this is interesting because um, gratitude has always my whole life been something that I've really struggled with. And when I was into the new age, like gratitude was everything. Like you should wake up and write down 10 things you're grateful for. And, you know, if you're going to manifest things and use law of attraction, you have to have gratitude. And I remember it was just all just such a, a horrible struggle for me to just be grateful and to write those lists and to do that. And I, I never did it. And then when I gave my life to Jesus, it was just like this shift. And I had this realization one day that I don't even have to write down the things I'm grateful for because I'm literally living in gratitude because I have a relationship with our creator. And I catch myself 
every day, the moment anything happens and I have any kind of realization, whether it's good or bad, I'm just like, thank you, Lord. Wow. Thank you, Lord. And I've never been like that before. And what I've learned that has shifted me into just living in gratitude, not just like being grateful, but actually living grateful is just learning to trust him fully. It's like when when the negative happens, I'm like, thank you, Lord. Like a few months ago when I ran out of money, my phone got shut off. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. Like, I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do, but I know that this is a future testimony. This is a future breakthrough. So, Lord, I thank you for this. This is great. This is amazing. And I was shocking myself like, dang, who are you? Like, who have you become? Little did I know that in two weeks he would deliver me from the spirit of greed and I would no longer worship money. And still to this day, like money has no control over my mental and emotional state anymore, the choices that I make, which is just mind blowing. But what I've learned is that like when when I fully trust him, I'm in a constant state of gratitude for the the good things, the easy things and the challenging things, because I know he's going to use it. Just like you said, he's going to use all things for good. And so I'm grateful for all things. And it's just this crazy experience where my whole life, I couldn't be grateful to save my life. And now it's just something where it's just this natural effortless thing. And for me, uh, I see it even more than gratitude is just trust. Like I just trust him. I trust that he's a good father. I trust that he cares about me. I trust Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And so everything that comes my way, I'm just like, thank you, Lord. Even if this is an attack from the enemy, I know you're going to turn it into something good. And so thank you for this. Thank you for this. And what has happened is all of my resistance to life has just like, it's just dissolved. I used to have so much resistance and wanted to control so many things. And now it's just like, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know you're going to turn this into something good. And it's just been this, this shift of where I don't even write down what I'm grateful for because there's just so much trust. And I feel like trust, like when you just truly trust him and you truly surrender to him, gratitude is just the default. Gratitude is just natural. It's just like, you don't even have to try to do it. It's just your way of being. And so that's been a massive transformation for me um, because I used to have to force it. And now it's just, I catch myself every day, multiple times. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Especially when the bad things happen. Like, thank you, Lord. I don't know what you're up to, but I know you're gonna do something good. So I thank you ahead of time. Um, And I look at myself, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You're crazy. Um, And I love it. Like I'm crazy and I love it. So um, yeah, that's it. I'm going to put a pin right here because I want to let Rachel speak. But the the second lane I had was all about communication. And I believe what you're talking a bit about is how it affects our communication, both to ourselves, because that's the first conversation we have to take control of, is those conversations internally affect everything. If we don't have strong conversations with ourselves, then we I don't believe we can have strong conversation with God because that can affect that. And then how we demonstrate to others. So I'm going to put a pin in communication. Uh, but Rachel, go ahead. Yeah, this kind of goes with what he was already sharing, but basically this week and last week, it's been a lot of being grateful for the trials and the tribulations. I've had to um, willingly release one of mine to the public school, and it is definitely a good fit for him, but it's brought up a lot of deep truths that we have to talk about in um, conversation. And then I took my daughter to what was supposed to be this fun Halloween. They were just decorating pumpkins and it was for teenagers. And like the commonality and all the conversations were the kids talking about how they recently tried to commit suicide. And my daughter came like running out of there in tears and 
um, just being able to talk to her about, you know, talking about the word and the truths that we believe and the truth that we believe in and stand on and live for. Um, and just um, instead of being reactive to all of those conversations, just being grateful that I get to instill the Bible, I get to lead my children to Jesus, I get to be that light and help them be that light. And instead of looking at, oh my goodness, like these horrible conversations, all of this going on. And so just being grateful, like the Bible tells us to, that we're going to have trials, we're going to have tribulations, but we have Jesus and we have the peace of Jesus. And so I guess being able to walk in that, that not all of what we are grateful for is necessarily good in our eyes, but that we are grateful that we get to walk that and we get to live out the light. So good. And, you know, we're experiencing this with one of our, actually two of our daughters uh, are with three kids. Our oldest is a boy and then our middle and, and baby are, are girls. Um, and both of them have instances here lately in school. They both all three go to public school um, with having people around them. And it's the society we live in with suicidal thoughts. We we've allowed our youth to be okay with being anxious. We sell it to them. It's okay if you're anxious. And our kids are just anxious about everything. They're anxious about their school teacher not agreeing with their the answer to the question, even though they're wrong. Like it's like we just not prepared them for testing across the board, whether it's in sports, whether it's in school, whether it's in our spiritual walk. So exactly right. I think for us with our kids, we've had heart to heart conversations with them about being the light in those situations, not letting those situations affect you. How do you communicate something different in that space and, and not let it affect you, not let it access you, not let it make you anxious and, and being that place. And there was an issue that popped up in our middle child's class that some kids were doing some things and she ended up going and reporting them. And I asked her what her intent was and the things they were doing, there was some vaping and things like that. She goes, I'm worried about their health. Uh, she said, I don't want them to make decisions that could affect their health. And she didn't give them names or anything, but she just connected. And I said, see, that's the heart right there is you want what's good for them. Um, but in all things, we're, we're being put in situations. We're being around people who are, our kids are making these decisions. So it does, it's hard because I, I know a lot of Christian parents who've pulled their kids out of everything because they don't want to be in them in those places. But what it does, it prevents them from having real life conversations about the world around us. We need to be aware of what's going on around us. And as our kids grow up, they need to be aware of it because how you, can you go and be a light someplace if you don't realize that that's a constant struggle for somebody? Also, how can you um, have a conversation with somebody? So I'll, I'll give the, the next line. This goes right into what I was thinking. So I had a conversation yesterday with a man and his uh, um, we were talking about his marriage and his wife has experienced some hurt and some pain here recently, and it's affected their communication. And there's been constant arguments amongst them and all of this. And I said, here's what you have to realize in communication. When you say something, there is one of two ways it's going to be that they're going to get it. It's either going to be a perceived of what they heard, or it will be a received of what they actually heard. In other words, if you say something, if you respond in a conversation and you mean to be hurtful, what they receive is hurtful. But if that person's going through a hard time, not really hearing what you're saying, they can receive what you say, but perceive it as hurtful, even if it wasn't intended. 
But then I'm always, you got to look in the mirror. And when you walk into a conversation, when you're in a conversation with people, when you're in a relationship with people, you've got to own your piece of the puzzle. And I said, so for you in this situation where you understand that right now is a struggle based on something else, you have the ability to position her not to receive something in the in a perceived way because of her own hurt. In other words, you walk into that conversation with a heart to serve her. Get her into a place where she's going to actually hear what you say instead of just saying it. You start that and you start that by connecting with her and say, I, I just want you to know that I'm here for you. I want you to know that I'm not doing anything that would you know, hurt you. And I know what's going on in your life. And I just want you to know I love you, but I want to let you know this. And so now you've positioned her, you've pulled down the barrier, the filter of perception, and you actually give the received thing that you're trying to say. And I've experienced this with people who are struggling in anxiety and fear and the suicidal thoughts and all that. You can give them truth. You can give them something that could help them, but they've been lulled into such a place of brokenness around them that everybody's after them. Everybody's coming to, to hurt them. The moment you say something, no matter what it sounds like, it's perceived as an attack on them. So we could just say, well, that's truth, and I'm just going to give it to you. Or we could say, you know what? I want to position you to receive what I have to give you. I think the Holy Spirit does this for us. The Holy Spirit just didn't come around just like slashing you. You need to hear this. Bam. Like how many times has the Holy Spirit got you to a place and you've heard this from other people and all that, but he gets you to a place and it's like, wow, you're doing that. You're saying this for my good. You're not trying to wound me and attack me with it. You're not trying to condemn me with it. Conviction means you're, he's giving you a way out. Conviction is a good thing. Condemnation is, in a, is in a final assessment. This is all you'll ever be. That's why the voice of the enemy, when he comes at you, it's always going to be negative, 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 negative. And he's going to attack you in that place and tell you this is all you'll ever be. When the voice of conviction comes, the Holy Spirit, it's the extension of what Jesus said, come follow me. It's an invitation out of where you've been stuck. It's not an assessment of what he sees. It's an invitation into what he sees because he sees inside of you, not outside of you. So that's the difference in conviction. So then it challenges us as believers. How can we walk in that same posture to really make sure that we're not walking around and allowing people to be wounded by perception because we want to do everything we can for them to actually have reception of what we say. Now it's going to affect how you communicate with your kids. It's going to affect how you communicate with your spouse, how you communicate with the, your coworkers or people who work for you, how you communicate with the people you serve, your customers. Like it really puts us into a place that I want everybody to receive what I have. If I'm going to serve you, I want you to receive it. So how can I posture you to receive what I have for you? And I, I'll give this and I want to hear your thoughts. Like think about Jesus as he's speaking to his disciples when he's washing their feet. Tell me that's not a perfect place to receive what I'm saying about you. Like Peter even says, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus is like, Peter, you don't even understand. Until you can receive being served, you'll never be able to serve. I'm here to posture you to be a servant. That's why me, the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, is going to serve you to a level that you would not feel worthy of. The dirtiest of the dirty. Your feet are nasty. I'm going to posture you in this moment 
into a place of complete vulnerability to let you know, I love you and I'm going to serve you in this place. I want you to receive what I'm doing for you. So I can only imagine as Jesus, we don't see the intimate prayers that he prayed one-on-one, but I cannot imagine that it was just a quiet time as he went from disciple to disciple and washed their feet. Just a few years ago, Morgan and I were part of a group and as leaders of life groups, in our church, our pastor's son-in-law came and he was talking to us about the importance of leadership and all this. And he said, I just felt by God that I was supposed to wash your feet. So he went around to each of us, him and his wife, uh, and they actually washed our feet. And as they were washing our feet, he said, I just want you to close your eyes and imagine that Jesus is washing your feet right now. I want you to connect intimately to that moment. And he just began to speak and pray over us in that moment. And it was such a vulnerable place because we had been postured to receive this intimacy, like, oh my God, he's rubbing my feet. And, but it was really crazy. And I think I received something there that could have been perceived other places, but it really took down all my barriers to let me know he's there for my good. He's serving me. And he gave me a word in that moment that was just challenging to me, but it was also one that invited me to something different. So I want to hear your thoughts on this. I want to, I think communication is so key in everything we do. I think the world around us uh, doesn't do it well. I think the enemy has distorted communication And it's affecting uh, the world. It's affecting how we can demonstrate the gospel that is around us. So at some point, we have to take that on ourselves to say, how can I change the narrative? So thoughts, anyone? So I think one way to help posture people is by uh, using gratitude with them. So he's just telling them, thank you for something, you know, and tell them what you appreciate about them um, is a good way to start any conversation. (laughs) Yeah. And and this goes back to what I was going to say uh, earlier with you, Chris, your day-to-day demonstration of gratitude. Now God is changing and shifting you in that place. How many times do we, when something happens to us, we respond negatively. We have just maybe not say anything, but it's just our, our, um, our body language, all that shifts and changes. But when you really begin to change and shift that gratitude in everything that you do, suddenly that will posture people to receive from you when they are around you all the time. And that becomes your atmosphere. That becomes your sphere of influences. I'm just going to respond differently to the things around me. Somebody is going to, when you say something now, they've witnessed it in you. They witnessed your response and they know you're not out to it because that's generally what happens. What do they say? Hurt people, hurt people. And you'll see it. Somebody gets something, attacks them, and they just attack somebody else. So it's like this waterfall effect. Boom, 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 boom. But in that place, I'm not going to let this negatively affect me. It does really, uh, Joe, did change our whole exterior. And people will soften. People will want to be around you in that place. Go ahead, Chris. Um. So I learned... Uh crazy powerful lesson with communication uh it was a tough lesson to learn but uh my my whole life our family the way that we grew up is uh when we would get upset we would just say really mean things to each other and it would just like we would just speak death over each other and 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 after everyone cooled down i'm sorry oh it's okay you know don't worry about it sweep it under the rug you know just like not a big deal and so that's how i've been most of my life and um you know, it was just 
like I had this ability to speak so much life over someone and then on the opposite end speak just total death to just totally encourage someone and just totally discourage someone. And uh, I was having a conversation with my my ex-girlfriend. Um, it was probably like a year, a year ago. And I was just so frustrated with her. I was just so frustrated. And I'm like, why do you do this? And you do that. And you do this. And you do that. And I said all these things. And after saying it, I just felt dirty. I just felt like, oh, just Chris, why didn't you just shut up? Like, why did you have to say all that? And I just felt so much conviction. You know, I was a new believer and I felt like this conviction. And uh, the next day I went to church and worship was going on and I was praying. And God said, Chris, I did not give you the gift of speaking to speak death over my children. Mm. Be responsible with the gift that I've given you. And it was like the most intense rebuke that I've ever felt from God. And it was just, it crushed me. And I was like, wow, Lord, you, because one of my gifts is speaking. And so, and he showed me like, you know, he's given us all gifts. And one of the gifts that we all have is the ability to speak. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to take that gift or that weapon that God has given us and use it against each other. Is it against ourselves? You know, how much time, how many, how much of the time do we speak death over ourselves? And, you know, then when I started reading it, you know, more of the Bible and, you know, in James, he talks about the power of life and death is in your tongue. And it's like, you know, a venomous snake. And it's like uh, the rudder of a ship. Like, you know, you have a giant ship, but the tiny little rudder controls it. And, and I, from that moment on, I've become unbelievably careful with my communication. Like I am, I, I've never bit my tongue as much as I have since, since that moment, because I really saw that it's not just words that you're saying, you're speaking death over someone and God did not give you your, your words and your mouth and your tongue to speak death for anyone. We're called to speak life over everyone, including our enemies. And from that moment on, I just realized, wow, if, if I'm not speaking life, it doesn't need to be said. And, you know, I can communicate and I could be vulnerable and I could be real and I could be direct, but it's communicating truth, love. And um, it's that conviction, you know, versus condemnation and that rebuking versus the condemning. And I used to just condemn and condemn and condemn. And I would do it to myself. And once I stopped doing it to others, I realized that I don't do it to myself as much either. And so I've just learned to be very, very responsible with my words because, um, you know, if someone makes me frustrated or something, hear what I would say out loud normally. And I'm like, wow, Chris, if you said that, like, do you know how much that would hurt that person? You know how much it would destroy them? And it's just like, wow, like that wicked and evil heart that just wants to destroy with words. Um, thank God, God has given me the the ability to stop myself and and to not say stuff like that. But it's just, it's just incredible because communication is, is, what we have. Imagine if human beings, if we couldn't talk, if we couldn't communicate, we'd be just like the monkeys. Like, you know, we just, we communication is everything. Word is everything. Like it, it's everything. And I think the more we become responsible for them, the more we give God our mouth and, and we become his mouthpiece and we speak his words and we speak his life. I think that's when everything just transforms dramatically. And I've seen, you know, with my mom and her becoming sober, like I, I have always been so critical with her because she was like my child almost like you got to do this and stop doing this and stop doing that. And what I've learned over this transition period is what what helps her more than anything is is not criticizing, but speaking life over her, not even correcting her, just reminding her how, how loved she is, how amazing she is, who God created her to be, because we have to realize the enemy is always speaking death over people. He's always in their ear. You're not good enough. You suck at this. And, and so what I realized is that when the enemy speaks death, he shoots an arrow in their heart. 
I come and speak death on top of that. I'm just taking the arrow and I'm pushing it in deeper. And God's like, I didn't give you the gift of speaking to push arrows in. I gave you the gift of speaking to pull arrows out because your gift of speaking has the ability to heal someone from the lies of the enemy. And so you need to speak truth and speak life over my children, not death. And so from that moment, I was just like blown away. And I'm very, very intentional with my communication, my words now. So communication has shifted dramatically for me since I've become a believer. So, yeah. Yeah. What you find oftentimes is um, Annie just said positive affirmation rather than nagging. Um, When you address what you see, guess what? You're only addressing what they see. Nine times out of 10, that person already attacks themselves in that place. So all you're doing is validating the places they're wounding and attacking themselves, validating the exterior. And I believe that's the hardest part. And that's why, you know, what we talked about earlier about the power of forgiveness. Now, when you get to that place like you have, Chris, with the, the, the instant gratitude, when we get to that place of instant forgiveness, then our words are different. Because I'm not trying to wound you anymore. I've forgiven you for what you've just said to me. I'm not going to attack you back. I deflect that. Now I'm going to speak life into you. I'm going to replace what you meant for bad for me. And I'm going to give good to you. Like it is crazy God exchange in that moment. And suddenly those are the moments you disarm somebody. Because they expect what they gave you in return. Sometimes tenfold. And I'm like you, Chris. I was bullied when I was a kid. My tongue is very sharp. I can throw some quick one-liners out and wound you deep. And and it's the hardest part with that, Chris, is the better I know you, the deeper I can wound you. And I've had to apologize to my wife who's on the screen time and time again because we do it to the people we love the most. And it puts us in this place of just constant attacks with our looks, with our response. But in that moment, it's like, what am I bringing to this conversation? If I were, if I throw another weapon into the ring, both of us are going to walk away wounded less than what we could be. But that instant forgiveness moment, that instant gratitude that I can forgive you. I want to be thankful that I can forgive you. I want to be thankful that you've healed my heart in those places so I don't have to attack back. I don't have to prove myself. Those are the moments where God can really begin to change relationships, conversations, situations, and really be, I think, um, in that space. Because that's our job. It's not to get us in the space. I was talking to Tamara about this the other day. She has a connection with this young woman who has some very different beliefs, and it's denominational beliefs of what she's been raised on. And it goes against some of the word, but if you get around Christian people, you're going to find some things that people were taught And if you go to the word, the complete word, not just what you want to read or not what somebody told you to read, you're going to be challenged out of all those things. Because denominationalism, whether we like it or not, is a limited understanding of God's word. It is man's attempt to rationalize or understand God fully, which I believe we will never be able to do until we have a body who can fulfill that and we get to the other side. So it's the desire of all of us coming together with what knowledge we have and him sealing and completing a more rounder vision. I believe that's what this table represents is people coming from all walks of life, but realize I got to let some things go. I've had to let some things go through the year, but she was talking to this, this person who has some issues and she said, well, how do I, um, how do I change her mind or convince her or let her know what's right and what's wrong? I said, that's not your job. 
I said, it doesn't say Christians will lead you into all understanding. It says the Holy Spirit will. So then the challenge for us is how do I get the Holy Spirit in this situation? I don't want to get Anthony in this situation. Anthony knows a lot or thinks he knows a lot, may not know as much as he thinks he does. But guess what? I'm always going to be limited. So I can get in a conversation with somebody and maybe help them, but I can't lead them into all understanding. I can't remind them those words of Jesus. And here's an even harder thing. I was just reading this the other day. We, we talk about when Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will remind you of the things I've said. He also said, the Holy Spirit will tell you things that you aren't even ready to hear from me. Now, you want to challenge some denominationalism right there. You're telling me that the Holy Spirit's going to say something that the Word doesn't say, that the Bible did not say that Jesus never said. That's exactly what Jesus said. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you disciples something that I never told you, and you just spent three and a half years with me. That's going to stretch us to a place where we have to be in constant communication. But I think it comes back to this place. And I told her this. I said, here's what you can do. You can put her in a place, but my desire when I'm getting in that position, I just want to give you something to read. Go read this scripture. And I don't want you to tell you how you should perceive it. I don't want to tell you how to receive it because the Holy Spirit can handle that. Go read this. And I just want you to pray on it. And then let's have a conversation about it. And then I'll say, you know, there's here's how I received that. And here's the way I, I see this. But how did you see it? And it's now an open flow of conversation backwards and forwards. And the Holy Spirit comes into that space and can begin to guide both of you to full understanding because that's what he does. So I, I think that's key in all the things is um, releasing our desire to be the answer, to be the mover, the changer, or to be the the weapon even to be the one who wounds somebody so deep that they change their life. That can even be a broken concept of thinking sometimes is I'm going to point out this negative thing about you in hopes that you lay it down. But realistically, they've already pointed that out about themselves and they see it in the mirror every day. Anyone else? It's a good conversation. I love how these things go. You come in with one thought and then somebody else's thought and it just comes into this more rounded view of what we're uh, talking about. So, Let's see, Rachel uh, Henson said, we also need to recognize that sometimes need to hold space for a person in states of grief, chaos, exhaustion, and speak God never leaves, never forsakes, allowing space to heal whatever they are in and letting them get to peace of being no matter their state versus it's okay, just rally. It's a difficult speaking space, speaking life and sometimes not speaking at all and feeling okay that it's not speaking, speaking the word. Rachel, you are 110%. Uh, I've, I've talked I was to a lot of people. I hoping that made sense. <laughs> 100%. And I'll, if you want to go on, go ahead and talk into that. Well, I, I wasn't sure my mic would work. Um, so, so coming from a... Uh, it's hard to explain because um, coming from a, a trauma background and my safety net was basically states of dissociation just ignore it just ignore it just ignore it in 2020 when god really was like you need to face some things because i'm i was so good at self-talking over myself that if someone came to me and said i'm not feeling well i was like "Ooh, you can do this you can do this and it was constantly pushing them forward which is is speaking life and um I remember when I just wanted to avoid some things, finally the Lord, and I call it, um, 
snot prayers when you get to the time where you're crying so much it's just overwhelming and I was like I'm not gonna face this stuff and I went into change management and I didn't realize going into a career like that where people in constant states of panic and fear and um you know I'm I'm gonna people saying I'm gonna lose my house we're gonna end up homeless and things like that is just uh that was Chaos was a natural for me. So anyways, in 2020, when uh, the Holy Spirit finally said very clearly, he said, if you can't face it, you can't replace it. Mm. And I was like, oh, and I, you know, I'm crying and I'm like, fine, then you have to make this work. And he led me at the end of that year to join a group, which was very hard for me to join. And they they work with people specifically in states of depression, very suicidal. They've even worked with people who are schizophrenic. And um, it's uh, it's a group called Light for the Darkness. And I remember praying. I was like, I don't want to be in this group, Lord, because these are people talking about I'm done. I'm out. Um, I've searched God so much for my life and things are still collapsing. I can't do this. And I was, you know, so much. I wanted to say like, no, no, you can do this. You can rally. You can, you know, come out of this. And the Lord was like, you need to stop and listen. And holding that space is hard when you see someone suffer, but kind of like the, if you can't face it, you can't replace it. I had to go through those states of stop and actually go, oh, this is what it is. And then give it to God and allow that grief to heal. And there's a pastor that once said, let the dirt do its work. And he talks about when you were planted, how much you hate being in the dark and you just want to climb and get out and get out. And sometimes your seed is not happening until you can rest. Or if you think of the butterfly metaphor, that goo and goo sucks. But then the piece on the other side is, is crazy. Like I never thought, you know, I only came back to church for a physical healing and I never assumed that God was going to like almost DNA change me differently to remove this kind of trauma state within my nervous system. And so speaking life, I guess when I was in those states of grief in 2020, other friends would even reach out and they would say, oh, oh, you can do this. Look forward, look forward. And every time I went to the Lord and I'm like, Lord, should I what should I do? Should I just, should I just forward? Should I just, you know, force myself to go forward and keep going? I would open the Bible and I constantly got, I never leave you. I never forsake you. It's okay. And it's like, I needed that healing. Um, and then had to learn how to tell friends that wanted all the best intentions for me and just say, look, I know you love me. I know you're trying to help me forward. I need this time to process. And then when I had to step into that role of people coming to me, like I had a, I uh, serve in the kids department and I had a teen come up to me and say, um, you know, my mom punches me and I don't know what to do. I don't want to punch her back. And it's just, what do I do? What do I do? And all I could, you know, give him a hug and I'm like, well, one, don't, (laughs) don't punch back. I get that. But, um, I was like, I just remember it was so weird. My answer was use, because what kept me alive, because I was suicidal at 15 um, because of my household, what kept me alive was anger, was um, I don't want 
their story to be what's told because it's lies. And if I can just stay like anger kept me like, I'm not going out. And I, and that might sound weird, but I remember this, this um, young man, well, 17, so young man, teenager. And I was like, you know, don't punch your mom, punch your mom, but if use whatever you need to stay with us, to stay with us, you know, and um, try to keep moving forward until you can get out of the house and start over. And um, when I was able to actually, I, I went to college at 17. That was my way out. That was my exit plan. So I don't know. I guess there's a lot in there. But even being in that group where I would hear, it's hard. It's really hard to just let someone process and let all their grief out and not want to throw all the positive speaking Bible, but allow the parts that we forget in Psalms and where David is crying. And and there are parts where David's like, I'm done. I'm done. Everybody's coming after me. Um, even um, Jonah, he just went and sat under a tree after Nineveh and was like, I'm out. I'm done. And those are in the Bible, but we don't want people to live there because we do want them to come back to the light because it is so freeing. It's just with anxiety and overwhelm. It's just, it's a hard space of knowing because some people need the rally and some people just need the, you know, I love you. You're never forsaken. You're never left. And you're going to process through it. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't need those quiet moments if we were talking to Jesus. You, and I'll, I'll challenge this a little bit. There was never a quiet moment when somebody went to Jesus. They said what they said or they sat there. He always had the exact right answer at the exact right time. We don't and we won't because we have emotion. We have all the things. And our biggest problem is we try to fix what we can see. We want to fix symptoms. We want to. And this is I was going to say this at the beginning, uh, Rachel, but. I see this so many times in church, people who are struggling and trauma and grief and all that. And everybody's got a scripture to give you. You know what they don't want to hear at that point? A scripture. They, you know how many times you hear, I'll pray for you. But they don't see anybody willing to sit and listen, sit and just be in that place. Like when Jesus came, he never said, I'm going to pray for you. He didn't just throw a scripture at them. He got right into where they were and he knew exactly what they needed. Jonah, when he's sitting under the tree, God knew exactly what to say and how to say it to him to get him to respond and learn in that moment. We don't have that ability. I wish we did. If we were so tapped into the Holy Spirit, we could. But I think nine times out of 10, in this, in those listening moments that we'll realize the symptoms that we see are not even the problem that needs to be connected to. This yeah, is and sometimes is. we don't even know our problem. A hundred percent. I mean, I I didn't start trauma therapy until I had a physical issue. And I was told by physical therapy, you need to go to trauma therapy to help your body heal. And this woman was a Christian and she was so kind. And she said, we need to look at your background. And I very clearly said, no, we don't. <laughs> We're fine. Mm -mm. Just fix this physically. And she's yeah. like, no, we need to look at the back. And I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> Yeah. So I couldn't have expressed it if I wanted to, because I was so tapped out of it, but it was running my life down and trying to over positive scripture to myself, refusing to acknowledge that we are whole beings was just tearing me down. And that's it. All right. And sorry about the loud bird in the background. No, <laughs> it's, weird to think, it's weird to think that even scripture can become like alcohol to us. Think about this. 
the majority of people who struggle with alcoholism, alcohol is not their biggest problem. It's a symptom of what they're actually struggling with. It's a coping mechanism for what they're trying to hide in their life. There's a lot of people who struggle with things and they cover it up with whatever thing it is. Working out can be just as broken. Uh, having a scripture for this, for this symptom, I'm, I'm going to oh, I'll just speak to this. And you're not even addressing the actual problem that's causing you to come back. So then you constantly speak that scripture over you, but you got to keep speaking it over you because you're never addressing what's actually broken in people. Or the church walking, when somebody walks in and we see this external sin that's easy to point out, oh, look at that sexual sin. You need to fix that. There's a scripture for that. And not realizing that they're struggling in the sexual sin because they were molested at an early age, because they had a broken childhood. And now they respond in this sexual way. They seek out attention and validity through sex because they've never had attention and validity in their childhood. They have no value. So when when they're in bed with somebody, it gives them some semblance of value. We can point out what we see and miss a moment that God wants to heal something so deep that it's affected the rest of their life. But we don't listen because we just want to do the easy thing, say a prayer over them. God's going to heal you. God's going to restore you. And then we walk away and say, God, you just got to trust God in this. Instead of being there to listen, be able to walk, to be the light in that place. So it's so true. When we listen, we can actually hear where the hurt's coming from. And then in that place of listening, God, give me the right word, because this may be the one chance that somebody has to speak into this place. Maybe I have to take some time to get alone, not speaking in that in that moment specifically. Being that Jesus moment, like Jesus did it so well, I want to be that place. Oh, God, if you want to use me to speak in this place, give me the words to say so that they can receive it and not perceive it. Come on, Annie. We're right at the one o'clock, but I want you to finish this thing out. Yep. Um, so I just wanted to add on to just the, the listening portion. Um, as Christians, I think, um, and knowing that Jesus is our healer, that um, as Christians, we could kind of perceive ourselves as healer. Um, so, for example, if a person comes in, um, with a lot of mental trauma, then as Christians, we think that we can speak those words mm -hmm. and hopefully walk them through their life. But I think there's also a fine boundary of allowing the professionals to take over while walking with them um, and knowing that we cannot fix everything because that's actually thinking that Christians are the ones who have control over other person's life. Um, so I think just providing uh, a fine, like a thick boundary of there are people who are actually trained to do things that people who have, um, we have so many people in our church who it's a, the, the body of Christ, um, people with different talents. So knowing that um, there are certain limits that we have as individuals uh, within the church and, and really like directing them to the right person while not just throwing them to that professional who who's going to help them through counseling or um, going through, I don't know, child protection, um, child protective services or whatever that they may need and also holding their hand and letting them know that we're not giving up. Yeah. Um, there's, there is a value of sitting with them in moments of just letting them vent. And there's also value of directing them to the right source 
so they can actually get the physical or professional help that they need. Um, so just wanted to add to that because I think um, it could get murky when um, uh, like church staffs and um, whoever just step into a situation to make decisions for the individual without knowing the entirety of that person's life, but only a snippet of that person's life. Um, so yeah, so just wanted to throw that out there because if anyone here is struggling with mental um, health, um, mental, um, what do you call it? Um, just depression or anxiety or um, suicidal thoughts. It's just that like, yes, you can go to the people at church to really let them know um, and to have them walk through with you, but at the same time, get a professional help who's going to help you walk through for a long-term also. A hundred percent. And I, I, you know, we've had people come to us as pastors and want to talk and I'll listen and I'll help you with where I can. But I am one of the first ones to say, I, if, if I don't know something, I challenge people a lot with this. The three most powerful words you have, I believe, are I don't know. But that is not a period. It's not a release. I don't know. And go find help somewhere else. It's a comma. If I don't know it, then I need to do everything I can to learn. If it's something I'm going to send you to somebody else, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be here and hold hands. I think we don't do this enough where people feel alone and then go into something they don't know that could bring up all this stuff, being alone. Um, you know, Rachel, you you kind of talked about that. But, yes, you're 100 percent right, Annie, uh, is knowing our limitations. And I'm so thankful today um, that we see it in the body of Christ. There are Christian therapists that will actually want to connect you with truth also diving into and connecting you with the past and, and combining the two. I think where you have to be careful is there is non-Christian therapist, and that can be very tough sometimes because I believe the power is connecting the truth along with those, those methods and connections to where you've been and getting into that place of hurt and, and allowing truth to be in that space. So I encourage uh, everyone. I think in the old days, there was no Christian therapist, uh, Christian uh, psychiatrist, because we just prayed for people and hope they got fixed. But now we've realized this, this mind, this things that have been done to people is deep. And why wouldn't we go find methods and, and ways that we can connect and, and get into those moments where they can trust us, but then also do it with truth. So I think that is so, so important. So great point. Um, as Christians, we are not the answer. I wish we, like I said, Jesus was the answer. He had the ability to do all those things. Um, but as the body of Christ, definitely, definitely, definitely um, be careful. Because we can wound somebody just as much because in that moment of, like we said earlier, seeing something and addressing only that, we can miss a whole moment. Like it's like when they talk about a tumor or something, if you mess with it and without the right thing, you could cause a whole lot more issues. And if you affect that one thing that has deep roots to a lot of other things and you don't know how to take it out, then you can affect a whole lot more than what you can just see. So good stuff. Uh, I want to open up. We got four minutes left. Does anybody have any? Oh, by the way, is any exclamation points on the way out? I think this is so, so, so good for us to understand and to listen because we encounter people every day, including ourselves, that person looking in the mirror who has struggles, who are, are broken in areas. And if we really want God to do and undo what he wants to do in us and those around us, it's got to be, we have to be able to see deeper than what we can just see externally. See what we just see in the mirror. See what we see in our past. Um, and that is why the power of life and death is in the tongue. And our desire is to see who, who God sees, 
so we can speak to that place. So, so good. Anybody on the way out? Uh, I'll just to address what you just said. Yeah. Um, and then I think Rachel's going to say something. Um, but uh, I would say uh, like something that, because I've been a coach for years, I've coached over a thousand people one-on-one and thousands, uh, th thousands of people in a group format and uh, just praying for discernment, like just praying for discernment because I'll be on calls with people and, and God will give me discernment. You know, they're not even saying something, but God shows me something behind it. And it's like, he wants me to go there to, to reveal that to him. And, and so praying for that discernment and knowing like, you know, when, when is God really give me something to say, because he's going to use us, you know, as that mouthpiece to, to set people free and deliver them from things, you know, through him and his power. And so that's just something that I always am praying for. Lord, just give me more discernment. Just help me see the things that you see, you know, shift my eyes so I can see what you see. Um, and, and when you do that and he actually gives it to you, it's, it's crazy. And the confirmation is, you know, people get transformed, you know, things change. And so um, that is something that I just do constantly. It's just, Lord, give me more discernment, give me more discernment. And it's amazing because he, he, give, he gives it to you. And that ability to have that discernment just really alters uh, your communication. But on the flip side of that, he's going <laughs> to he might give you some things that are pretty hard to say um, and that are pretty scary because, you know, it could it could offend people. So I've learned to to say the things that he gives you in absolute love, you know, so people know that you're fighting for them, not against them. And so, uh, yeah, that is it's just so significant and uh, especially with communication. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Rachel, did you have anything? Go ahead. Um, I remember, uh, so suicide is a big thing that um, that I address. My little brother from the family that took me in when I was eight did commit suicide in 2017. And, um, you know, 35, had an 18-month-old, my niece. And their family was better than my family, but it was still a, a tough family. And I just remember um, in 2020 waking up and it had to be the Holy Spirit. I woke up and it was like echoing in my head. It was so loud. You matter. You matter. And I pushed that message. And even when I give um, like a, a global talks to associations, I tell people at the end, they matter. Everything that, you know, your boss is saying and your, your partner is saying, and you have to go do that. But you matter, too. You matter too. And I think um, sometimes it's very easy to get into um, self-abandonment to please others, because if we're not feeling well, why don't we just fo focus over here? And when that person smiles, I now feel better. But then we're self-abandoning ourselves when we need to sit there in that rest and realize we matter too. And um, it all relates. I think it all goes back to a core of identity. And if we don't know the identity, our identity in Jesus, we are, you know, throwing our identity around to other people to try to feel better, if that makes sense. So, um, but yeah, just you matter. I tell, that's what I tell kids all the time. And some will say, well, mine's not as bad as someone else. And that is uh, a gaslighter and abuser's favorite tools. Well, somebody else has always got it worse. So you, yeah. you just be quiet over there. And it's like, no, I don't care if you dropped your ice cream cone, <laughs> you matter. You're allowed to feel shitty about that <laughs> if you can't go replace it. But, um, but um, yeah, I think of the verse uh, Isaiah, 
I think it's 46.4, but I will be your God throughout your lifetime. I made you, I will care for you. I carry you along and I save you. And I feel like those, I had to use that, you know, whenever I was doing identity shift too. But um, yeah, just as we, as we all help the world, remember we've got ourselves too. We matter in the process. Yeah. You know, Rachel, Morgan can't talk. She's in, in work. She's on listening, but I have the, um, I say opportunity. I, I've been blessed to be on the other side of suicide. She was at the point where she almost took her life. Um, had a razor blade in her hand, me and our kids laughing on the other side of the wall and her in the shower with a razor blade. But she made the last ditch call. Father, if you're there, I better know it. And she said she felt the warmth embrace of as if somebody was in the room that forced her to drop that razor. And what we realized from that moment on conversations was the enemy had lulled her into a place uh, where she couldn't talk to me about the struggle she was having for fear of what it would do in our relationship, the fear of the way I would judge her and all these things. And that's where the enemy attacks us and that he wants to isolate us because if we, our own voice is the only one we hear, he will use that against us. And I, there's a word that if I asked you all today, what does the gospel represent? What does the gospel represent to you? Give me a word that is similar. I don't feel like the word I'm about to say would be associated with it because it's not one that we've really preached into. We would say love and grace and mercy. I think the word that the gospel brings is value. And this is the place where if something's broke, if this phone has zero value to me, I'll throw it away. And that's where suicide gets us to a place is I get to a place where I feel like my life has zero value and it's actually bringing the value of others around me down. So I'm just going to release it and get rid of it. I get to make that decision. But I preached on the Ten Commandments. It's been two or three years ago. We came back from COVID. We, we took a month off and only did it uh, remotely. But that first week we were back, God gave me the Ten Commandments and I preached over the next five weeks. I'm like, God, oh, this is going to be a great sermon to preach to people come back into the church. But I split up the just I preached one and two commandment, three and four commandment, five and six, seven, eight, nine and ten. And every week this word continued to come up value, value, value. And this is what I got to at the core of what that the ten commandments represent. First, it's what Jesus said, love the Lord with with everything you have, your, your heart, mind, body, soul. Why? Because then you understand the value of God. When you spend time with him intimately with your every, when you give him everything your brokenness, all the things, when you just give it to him, now you can finally understand his value and who he is. No other gods before him. That's when you begin to understand the value of God. And then as a result, when you understand the value of God, now you understand the value of the image you were created in. Yeah. So as an image bearer, you now see your value, not what you've told yourself, not what the enemy's told you, not what the world's told you, your true value. And as a result, Jesus said, the second commandment is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. The moment you understand your value, then you now understand the value of all of the other image bearers around you. And you begin to love them to the value that the father loves them. That's the moment we change the world around us. That's the moment our communication changes, both with God, with ourselves, and with, with others, is the moment we begin to receive our true value that's bigger than what's been done to us, for us, by us, except for one moment when Jesus went to that cross and died for us. It was a demonstration that there's nothing we can do, nothing that can be done that can remove our value in the image we were created in. 
That was what he did. He signed it all. He signed the check, said, this is your, your value. I'm willing to give it all to restore yours. Well, that's a good place to stop, I guess. <laughs> um, I, I, I encourage you, though, in, in your prayer time, in your time, in your conversation. God, how can I bring value to this moment? How can I bring value to the situation? The value you bring to me. With everybody I talk to, I just want to speak value over them. I believe that's the power of life. You've never threw anything away that had value to you. And you know what? God didn't throw you away because you have value. And I think that's the place when we begin to speak that life or death is an assessment of value or is an assessment of a lack of thereof. So that's our challenge today. Anybody want to pray us out? I can. Please do, Annie. All right. Dear Father, I just thank you so much for uh, Chris, Anthony, Morgan, Shariah, Rachel, and other Rachel um, being here with us, Lord, and um, all the others who have joined for this call earlier, Lord. And I just pray that um, we just pray blessing over um, every single person present. And God, I just pray that will you allow our hearts to um just be softened to uh, to really listen uh, to others who are in in um, trauma or hurting, Lord and God. I pray that will you help us to uh, just um, use words wisely in the time of, especially when um, uh, in every moment that you're uh, just putting us, God, and every situation that we're in, God. I. I I just pray that will you help us to just really hear you, Holy Spirit, that that our spirit will be in tune with um, what you're doing and what you're saying at the moment so that we can uh, just really speak life to others and also life to ourselves, God. So, Lord, I pray that thank you that you call us valuable, that you call us um, that we are uniquely um just so special um in your eyes god that we have been formed um in such a unique way that um there are there's no one who is just like us god so lord i just thank you for just um, making us so intricately and to and to be who we are here and to um tend to just really worship you as as um as your creation, Lord. Um, so thank you. Thank you for our lives. Thank you for um, just the words, uh, the your words, and um, that we have just free communication with you at all times, God. And I just thank you that you are our God. You are a creator. You are a healer. You're the beginning and the end. So, Lord, I just thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and all the highs and lows that, that you are the one who is in control. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for just um, covering us, protecting us, Lord. Um, I just pray that as we go out, that we will put on the armor of God, that we'll be able to just um, be, protect, be protected and to protect others and ourselves, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Go and walk in the identity of the beloved. We receive love. We give love. God bless y'all. Have an amazing week and we'll see you next Wednesday. This is the Founder Collective.